Benjamin Franklin, would you believe I'm starting off with that? Benjamin Franklin. He wrote this epitaph for his own uh, gravestone. The body of Benjamin Franklin, printer like the cover of an old book, its contents worn out, stripped of its lettering and gilding, lies here, food for worms, yet the work shall not be lost, for it shall, as he believed, appear once more in a new and beautiful edition, corrected and revised by the author. Now that's Benjamin Franklin. If you know your history, uh, you know that he was a, a great man in our American history, but as far as his theology, it was lacking and lacking desperately. From what I know of what he believed, as far as his theology is concerned, he had false hopes there. He did know that his body was worn out, it was food for worms, and it was going to rot, but he had had a new and beautiful edition, he said, corrected and revised by the author. That's fascinating. But he had no living faith because he really, as far as I know, in the writings and the things that I've heard from many people, that... Uh, he didn't put his trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior of sinners. All the dead will rise. And we know that. Not all will rise to eternal life and to that life that is worthy that's uh, called life. But it's interesting that here you see a man whose entire understanding of the future was shaped by the influences that was around him. Christianity was a major part of the starting of this uh, nation. And of course, when you think of the pilgrims, when you think of the Puritans and the great um, theologians that came out of that time right here in America, uh, he had a good basis of an understanding. Although we know that uh, some of the early people in our American history were deists, they didn't really believe in a supernatural God. They didn't believe in uh, necessarily even this resurrection. Or if they did, it would be that they would raise up and get a new life. That sounds pretty good, so you might as well buy that, right? But Christian culture was there. It, it was lived out. And uh, his belief, even as a, uh, an unbeliever that professed somewhat maybe of a Christianity converged with the instincts as a man that was made in the image of an eternal God. And whenever he gave that understanding and that thought, uh, he had expectation of a bodily future. Now that is interesting. He was shaped by good theology uh, to a degree. But as far as his life and what he totally understood and believed was another thing. But he did have that right in the sense that he knew what happened to his body and he was looking forward to a new body. Can you imagine thinking in that? And then uh, you come to uh, what is the resurrection and you find out you are in the wrong place. At least as far as what you thought. Uh, there was the Duke of Wellington, English general, I often said there was but one thing worse than a victory. Did you hear that? One thing worse than a victory? This man is an English general. Why would he say that? You want to have victory. Well, one thing worse was defeat. And he said, if you read your military history, and you know precisely what I would mean, is what he would say. To achieve uh, victory, 
is really grand. You want to have victory in battle. But it's what you do when you get in that battle and what happens. But in this world, we know that victories are won because there's a great cost. Many lives are lost. Friends were killed by your enemies. Soldiers die in effort, great effort. Not only friends, but people we know of, you know, families. Others are seriously wounded for the rest of their lives. But you see exultation and victory, but only on those rare occasions when they really have been cheaply won, where there was no loss. And that very rarely happens. Usually the victors will look virtually exhausted. Nothing left. And they're as desolate and dispirited as the ones who've been vanquished. So it's great to have victory, but what a cost it is. The Christian message, though, is uh, a positive sense because that at the second coming of Jesus Christ, we know that victory will be utterly complete. And the fact of the matter is, is we know that, but as we go through the lives that we live here, it seems like sometimes we're being beaten up and we struggle and we fight and we battle and we lose some battles. We might lose a lot of battles. But there we are. And when it all comes down to it, when the roll is called, roll is called up yonder, we're going to be there for His. Um, it doesn't appear that way right now. But believers and unbelievers die alike. And that their bodies go into the ground. We know that if you're a Christian, your spirit goes to be with the Lord. But the day when the dead rise, and there's an entire immense company of the saints gathered together, we will continue on with our eternal life, but we'll start it with a new body and the presence of the Lord. And that is exciting to me. And only then can we get this victory measured, and it's because of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's worth it all. Is it not? Everything that we do, it's worth it all. And so we've been in 1 Corinthians 15 for some time. A long chapter. If you don't have the resurrection, then the crucifixion means nothing. The crucifixion means He dies for our sins. We get our sins forgiven. They're cast away. Amen, right? But if you don't have the resurrection, that doesn't happen. We have a dead Savior who is lying. But that is not true at all. We know that He died for our sins and He rose again on the third day at the heart of the Gospel. One of the major doctrines in all of our faith. You have to believe this and believe it with your whole heart. There's a vast amount of people in the world and the majority of the people in the world do not believe in just what we just said in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Most don't. It's the furthest thing from their mind. But you know what? It's the single most greatest event that's ever happened in the history of mankind. Can you think of anything grander than somebody coming out of the dead raising back up in a supernatural body that he had and still has today. 
And that resurrection is something that we're banking everything on for our eternal lives. This is immense, isn't it? So that's why Paul wrote a lengthy chapter and we're taking our time with it. I know that it is something that we can oh so much take for granted and we say, yeah, I believe in the resurrection and we move on. But I think it is good to ponder on it and think on it and take the time that we have on here as Paul spelled all this out. Now to the Greek, uh, the Greek people in Corinth, uh, we're being told that the resurrection of bodies of Christians would not happen. Now, they might have said, yeah, it happened to Jesus, but not to us. We won't get bodies. We'll be spiritual people, but we won't have bodies. We'll kind of like be like angels. And that was part of the philosophy of the days. You remember that the Greeks were uh, quite the philosophers, weren't they? You can think of Socrates and Plato, right? Aristotle. And they all believed in an immaterial type of life ever after. So there would be no bodies. So Paul's building up this argument. People are skeptical of this whole idea of the resurrection now. The question has arisen. They, they believe it. If you're a Christian, you have to believe this. But now they're wondering. They're tossing it about in their minds. Could it be that after we die, we just our spirit goes to be with Him and it's His? And so Paul has to answer this. Now, people will say, well, how can this happen? How can you have a, a resurrected body? This is a scientific age we live in. This just doesn't make sense. It's beyond the natural realm. This can't happen. I believe it's a reasonable impossibility if you're thinking the way that man thinks, right? It's reasonable, isn't it? For them to say that. I cannot believe it. I can believe Jesus came here to earth. And I can even believe that He's God, but coming back in a body. There's so much better in the life hereafter that we shouldn't be confined to bodies anymore. So goes the thinking. Physical body, it dies. It rots in the grave. How can it ever come back to life again? That's their logical thinking. And that's where Paul is at uh, whenever he uh, asks these questions that they'd be asking. If we could define it like... uh, Okay, the body dies. We know that, right? And we know it turns to dust. And we know scientifically that it actually turns to soil, eventually. And from that soil, the soil actually derives nutrition. Nourishment comes actually from dead bodies of beasts, dead plants, so animals and plants and did you know even human beings? We don't like to think about that, do we? This is a topic that people don't go around talking about death. And it's not something that I used to really rejoice in. But you know what? It's all a part of the plan of God. So it's not that bad of a deal. We, we need to know what God says about it. He must say a lot about it in this Scripture because we encounter this constantly. Uh, So you can say, you mean my body goes down onto the dirt and then it causes nourishment for the soil? Um, Okay, the food we eat is a part of the elements of dead things, right? (laughs) 
the meat that we eat. When you eat lunch today, you're going to be eating dead animals if you eat meat. Oh, that sounds really bad. I know, but at least it's an, at least an hour. Maybe you'll forget about that. Uh, in fact, there's an article about a man by the name of Roger Williams. Anybody ever heard of Roger Williams? Goes back to the early days of this country, and he was a pastor. He was a founder of Rhode Island, and he was exhumed from his grave. And as he was exhumed, it was discovered that the roots of a nearby apple tree had actually grown through the coffin. And actually, that area there was nourishing the apple tree. Apple trees. Oh yeah, I think of Johnny out there. Not Johnny Appleseed, but Johnny used to work in the apple industry. Retired from the apple industry. Did you know that those apple trees might have been getting nourishment from some things that you never thought about? Did you ever think about that, Johnny? There are cemeteries right around there? Good illustration. All right. You're a man. There you go. <laughs> you got some apples for us? <laughs> I've eaten those. Anyway, um, that was Roger Williams nourishing um, a dead body of a man here doing that. But, you know, you don't really think about that. But the fact of the matter is, is there is in nature the cycle of life where death actually feeds life. You think, you look at the insects. I often wonder, why are those insects there? Well, they get rid of stuff. You know, you watch these little bitty, bitty, bitty small things and you have a little piece of fruit that was laid out there, banana peel or whatever, and all of a sudden there are things crawling all over it. You say, well, what are they for? Well, I guess they eat that up. And then something else is a little bit bigger and then they eat those little things up and birds come along, you know. And, and you know, death is feeding life. Now, I, you know, we, we know about the water cycle, but we don't, we don't talk about the life and death cycle. But that's the way that God has designed it. Life dies and death feeds life again over and over again. And to the modern mind, to the rational thinking people, people think to themselves, how therefore can the dead rise again? When in nature it is all around us telling us constantly that's the way it works in nature. Have you thought about that? So whenever they come up with this crazy question of saying, how can that be? He said, it happens all the time. And of course, he's going to use illustrations and examples. And when Paul is done with it, it's like, how could they ever have even doubted the resurrection? So, they're going to say, what will it be like then? Okay, if that's the case. So as we enter into this study here today, Paul begins to tell the people, here's what it's going to be like. So let's start in verse 35 of chapter 15. With all that set aside and all that different kind of sounding stuff of nature, let's see how Paul is going to use that. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as He pleases, and to each seed it's its own body. Uh, i got questions. And these people, I don't think, are really 
having honest doubts. These people are finding it quite incredible to try to believe something ridiculous like this teaching of the resurrection. How are the dead people raised up? It seemed undesirable to people. It offends people when you talk about Jesus Christ raising from the dead. If they're not Christians, you start talking about that and, and really start getting serious about it. That's the heart of the gospel. That's really where you want to get to anyway. Say, what do you think about that? Challenge him. Well, uh, what do the Jewish people think about it? What what do they think? They had the scriptures, but they wrote other books. And when they started writing other things, they started having the philosophy of man. So what was the Jewish philosophy that didn't necessarily agree with the Word of God? Well, in a book called Baruch, which is an apocryphal book, The Jewish had apocryphal books that really never were included in the Old Testament canon. And in the book of Baruch it says this, there would be no change in form, the body would just be restored. Well, that sounds like resurrection there. But what they're saying is whenever we get resurrected, they kind of believed in that, but they said it'll be just like the body you have now, no difference. Same form and everything. Well, that's a lot to look forward to, isn't it? Is that what I live and die for? This thing again? Well, I hope I'm at least um, just 20 years old or something. 21. You know why I said that 21? Embarrass our visual man. here. He had his 21st birthday. He goes back like this. He always tries to be quiet. But we have to bring it out sometimes. If God created, why would it be impossible to create the body? Have you ever thought of that? Okay, hey, listen. I don't know exactly how it all works out, but I can tell you what. If I can believe that He created the world, which I do, then I don't have any problem with Him doing anything. Why couldn't He recreate my body? Only better. <laughs> okay. Well, what what kind of body is is the question? Well, He's going to... Bring that forth. He's just asking the questions they've been asking him. He's asking the questions that's going around there in Corinth, only they're putting out on some kind of doubt there. Uh, he uses illustrators, illustrations from nature. Something all they had to do was just go outside or think about it. It's, this is natural. Something they're familiar with. Didn't Jesus do that a lot? He was the agrarian society uh, in Israel. And he would use so many illustrations, whether it be trees, you can think of grapevines and figs. How often did he use that? Well, Paul uses a word here in verse 36 that uh, he's telling them that they are foolish you know, in what they were doing. Uh, he knows that it's not an honest doubt. He knows it's because of their own arrogance and their pride. They're making fun of what Paul and Christians believe. They weren't really after the truth. Have you ever talked to anybody that asked a question and you know that they're really not asking for real? They know the truth about it. It's what they believe and what you're giving to them is really not truth. And, but they ask a question anyway. Has that ever happened? I bet it has. Well, Paul goes ahead, uses the opportunity to give the truth. Boy, does he really build up on it, right? All important doctrine. Resurrection is not impossible because 
We know it happens continuously, every day, constantly in the plant world. That's what happens there. So he starts with the seeds, for instance. Foolish ones, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a a body as He pleases, and each seed its own body. Well, you have these seeds that actually die when you put them in the ground. They decompose. When a seed is planted in the ground, it has to die. That's fact. Natural fact. Uh, At least in its original form. And then it comes to life as a plant. As a mature plant even. Uh, go to John 12, 24 and 25, and that should not sound strange in Scripture because Jesus says something like that. 24 and 25. He's answering um, questions here, really. Verse 23, Jesus answered and saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Okay, you know, He's going to die and... Here's his ultimate glory. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? First he says the grain of wheat has to go in and die. Okay, they go, yeah, I get that, and then the plant comes out of it. He says... And you know what? This actually is going to happen to to Jesus. And he says, you have to lose your life in order to gain life. Right? That's an incredible thought. It sounds opposite of the way it ought to be. Uh, The first are going to be last, and the last are going to be first. There has to be an end to the old before the new can start. We have to get that rid of. Our body has to die to give life to the other. And so as a Christian, we have a different worldview on death, don't we? Um, people who are not Christians, they mourn and mourn and mourn. They can go for years and never get over it because they don't have the answer to really what just happened to their loved one and they know this is going to happen to them. How would you like to be in their place? That is a terrible thought, isn't it? But Christians can be joyful. Especially when one has lived a long life and a life that has honored God and we can we actually rejoice at that time. Uh, it's not a time of ultimate grief. We grieve because we we lose them, but for them, you know what happens, right? Well, it sounds like we're at a funeral today. But this is good news, right? There's a difference between the first form and final form, right? You get the seed, but then you have the plant. The seed loses its identity as a seed becomes more like a mature plant. The seed doesn't look like a mature plant, does it? But when it ceases to be that seed, it, then it starts to become a mature plant. What comes out of the grave is different than what was placed in the grave, Paul is saying. There's a difference. Let's go to Luke 24, 15. Jesus 
has resurrected. First day of the week. We have the Emmaus disciples walking along. They're sad because they've lost their Master. They just didn't know about that resurrection. didn't even really seem to occur to them. And in 24.15, look how He appears to them. So it was while they conversed. These are the Emmaus disciples. They're talking. They reasoned. That Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. Can you imagine that? There you are, kind of walking along together and talking and kind of going over the events of the last few years and the last few days. And all of a sudden, this man appears. They don't know who he is. We know who he is. We know it's Jesus. But he didn't appear, he didn't appear in a way at that time that he would be recognized. But it was him and his new body. Their eyes were restrained so they did not know him. Somehow there was a way that he kept them from recognizing. You go to verse 31, same chapter. So he talked with them. He even ate bread with them, broke bread, gave it to them. Then their eyes were open. They recognized how he did that. And that's only Jesus that could have done that. They They were close to him. They knew him. And he vanished from their sight. Now, I see this as a superhero. This is supernatural. And this only happens in the movies where you have somebody just appear and then disappear. Boom! Where'd he go? You didn't even turn your head. You didn't even blink. He was here. Now he's not here. He wasn't here and he's here. (laughs) How does this happen? And we're talking about a resurrection body that does these supernatural things. I want you to hang on to that. Not only did Jesus do that, but we'll be able to do that too. Yeah. I think that's exciting. I can't wait. But we're not going to drink poison or anything like that today to get out. No, no cult stuff here. Okay. Now, as they said these things, Jesus Himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. You know where this is at, don't you? He's with the, uh, the grouping called the Twelve or the Apostles. But twelve weren't there. Judas was already gone, and Thomas wasn't there because Thomas was doubting, right? But they're they're in this room, and all of a sudden Jesus is there. He just stood there. Wait, where'd you come from? Can you imagine standing there, and all of a sudden there's somebody standing? Would that give you the creeps? <laughs> That's why Jesus says, "Peace, <laughs> peace to you." Whoa. This just can't happen. Yes, it can. Yes, it can. John, well, I was going to say John 20:19, but it's really the same thing as the Luke there. Jesus' body was changed radically, but yet it was still a body. It was no longer limited by time, by space, by matter. Not limited by those things. Catch hold of that. So too will be our new bodies. He appeared, he disappeared. Did a lot of amazing things. Still, he could eat. He talked. He walked. Now, so there's a difference between the seed and the plant. Obviously. But yet, there's continuity. So we have decomposing. We have the difference. We have continuity. So now he says they're different, but yet they still are kind of like the same. What? 
Well, the seed, we know, we said it lost its identity. But the thing is, it's still in this life form. Um, A corn seed doesn't become less. You just can't throw it in the ground and then some other kind of plant life comes out of it. It's still in that same form. That was a corn seed. It's going to come up corn. Uh, A wheat seed. It's going to kernel. Whatever, whatever you put there, it's going to come up in whatever it was there. Each seed has a body of its own and maintains its identity to the mature plant. Our bodies will die, they'll change form, but those bodies will be ours. The personality is still there. Uh, we're not going to be so totally different that we d- we're not the same people, we're somebody else. By the way, this really gives credence to creation because um, the evolutionists say that you come from one form, animal to man all of a sudden, which is absolutely ridiculous. Have you ever seen ever one intermediate stage? Has anybody ever found that intermediate stage? They've been looking at it for uh, over 150 years. They've not found it yet. It's not there. Man is going to be man. God does it with plants, does it with animals, and He does it with mankind. There will continue to be that same life, the personality that was in that form. It will be our body. It's our body. It's you. It's still your body. Only drastically different. Much better. The fact is that the body you're now is different than the one it actually was 20 years ago. It might be a little bit bigger. It might have maybe uh, some more uh, bruises on it or uh, might have uh, scars. It might be a little more worn than it was 20 years ago, and I'm sure it is. You know, your body has changed even since then. And scientists, scientists, scientists tell us that every three, by three and a half years, our body has changed as far as all of its cells. Our cells die. Uh, whenever you sleep at night in your bed over the course of a year, I don't know how many pounds it is, but you have um, flesh, um, cells that have gone into the bed and it's all in the mattress. And if you were to weigh your mattress after a certain amount of years, it's heavier than it was than whenever you first bought it. Now, that, is that creepy? Did you know you're, there, you are dying? That's weird. Come on, Dennis. You are really getting strange today, aren't you? That's what scientists tell us. You know what? It's true. It's true. Our particles change. We know that our adult bodies are different than they were when we were children. Aren't they? They changed. But yet, it's still us. We haven't lost that person out. We're still the same person. But our bodies have changed. We're always who we have always been. So we're in life. We're in the midst of death. You're dying. As soon as you're born, you start to die. Isn't that incredible? And in death, we are in the midst of life. What do you think of that? Okay, now, that was seeds. That was dealing with seeds. We'll go back to 1 Corinthians 15. Well, you get a lot of... uh, creation and science and such all put together in this little text. So we did 36 through 38, right? Now we come up to verse 39 and it's dealing with, uh, actually 39, I think it's 
Uh, we're still on number two. Uh, he's giving answers by illustrations. And that's dealing with the flesh. And he's going to start with uh, the fact that there's a difference in kinds of flesh. When we look at the many differences in creation, did you know we realize that God creates bodies that are different and the number, the variety is unbelievable. We can't count all the different varieties that He has made. Let's read that verse 39. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. Would people agree with that? He is just going down one point after another, and it's all so simple. And he's making this resurrection show that, hey, listen, this can be believed. Did you know, I know you do, that fish are different than beasts? Fish are different than birds? Man, that's an incredible statement, Dennis. I'm glad you figured that one out. They are, aren't they? It's different flesh. And that's what he's saying. There's so much different varieties. Why can't you believe in the resurrection? Okay, he's going to prove that a little more. Even when we look at the very same species, we know there's a lot, you know, you you have have birds and fish and then all the different animals, possums and coons and armadillos, all those roadkills and everything that we see every day. You know, just constantly, we, we know there's so many, how many different animals are there? You can go on and on and on and on and on and on. A lot of different varieties, right? There we go. A lot of different bodies he's done. But what's really interesting is that even within the very same species, there's still a difference. Like, uh, let's say within uh, you have a bird and you have Orioles. Okay, well they all basically look alike, right? Yeah. But you have different kinds of Orioles. So let's say you get down to the one kind of Oriole. You know, they're still all different. There's never been a bird that has been exactly like another bird. There, I want you to catch this. Because, uh, probably most of you don't know this word. Some of you might. If, uh, if you do, you're more uh, intelligent than I am. But definitely, that's no problem anyway. You already got that one. There are 600 octodecillion combinations. There we go. That's what I wanted. 600 octodecillion. That is amino acids. Octodecillion. That's, okay, I want you to, okay, envision this. Imagine 10 to the 108th power. Okay, just imagine putting a 1 up and then putting 108 zeros after it. That's how many amino acids there are which is really the basic foundation of life. That's the building blocks, isn't it? Of all of life, these amino acids, that's where every, every particle that has life has that. Ten to the hundred and eight power. These amino acids, plant, animals, humans, amino acids, can you imagine each, and then you imagine unique grouping of them? Take snowflakes. Everybody knows there are no two snowflakes that are alike, will ever be alike. Out of all the, how can you say, billions, quadrillions, uh, all the snow we had this year probably added up to octodecillion, <laughs> right? 
never have there been one that was alike another. And so you get to thinking about it, uh, there's never been a seed like another seed. They look alike. How about a blade of grass? Well, they all look alike. They're the same thing. No, they're not. You'll never see a blade of grass that's exactly like the other blade of grass. From your vision, it does look like that. But that's called variety. God is a God of variety. Has He ever bored you? (laughs) I mean, there is no reason to ever be bored with what God has given. Did you know that identical twins are not exactly alike? I hate the blower bubbles. Most of us know that, right? I still have um, two sister-in-laws. I can tell them apart now, but that's because I've been married for over 30 years and I've seen them around. But whenever I first saw them, I couldn't tell them. I said, Carol, this one's that one. But they weren't even identical twins. They were just called twins. But then they're identical twins that look just alike. And man, I mean, they think alike. They dress alike. Now, that makes it much harder, you know. But um, twins aren't exactly alike. They're still different. The fact alone of that is evidence against evolution. (laughs) Uh, Why don't they take that into consideration? We will never change into another form of life. We are what we are. We'll always be human beings. We will never turn into an angel. Oh, I've had people come into the store. I've talked with them, and after I've dealt with them, I realized that they thought that as soon as we die, we'll turn into angels. And I think Michael Landon might have had something to do with that. Or some of those other shows. I mean, that is not even close to Scripture. There's there's God, the triune God. God also created angels. God created men. God created animals. God created plants. And that's what they are. That's all they're going to be. They're not going to turn into one kind of another form. Uh, Not going to transfer into another. And so as he deals with flesh here, he's talking about they all stay within their own kind, but yet they differ even in that. Okay. What about heavenly bodies? Paul's now going to use that. Okay, we've looked at the the earth, looked around, looked at... uh, you know, the plants, we look at animals. Hey, let's look up under the stars, the sky. Alright? Verse 40. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So he keeps using illustrations. Paul doesn't stop with it and just assume, okay, you ought to know by now. He just gives them everything. Gives them the whole dose. Where they can't argue back. Not only are there heavenly bodies that are different from the earthly, those heavenly bodies are different from each other. We know that, you know, because they're, some are bigger than others. Um, they have their own difference in glory. What makes the difference in glory? Well, really, he's talking about the, the glory of the sun and the glory of the moon and then another glory of the stars. Well, the sun is a star, isn't it? So he's not giving us a science lesson here. We know the, uh, the sun is a star also, but that's what when people look in, from this earth from here, you know, they recognize what that sun is. What he's saying 
is they all differ in the light that they give out. And by our great technology that we have today, it is very interesting to know there are different sizes of stars and different galaxies and millions of galaxies and they're far beyond anything we can ever count as far as miles are concerned, light years, and it just keeps on going and going. The stars generate their own light. We know ultimately it comes from God, but we we know that they... Um, are their own sense of light and all the gases. The planets and the moons reflect the light. They don't have their own light. They just reflect that light that comes from the stars. So they vary greatly in their glories, don't they? Betelgeuse, you know, it's supposed to be a huge, massive star, but there are other stars that are bigger than that. Some are uh, much smaller, and the sun that we have can fit into who knows how many times in some of those great massive, massive stars. It just, it just goes on and on. I don't have all these figures, but each of their stars have their own colors also. And their own star, uh, star color actually is because of the different temperatures that each one has. When we look up there, we see pretty well white, don't we? But they're all different. God has an infinite variety. Each one of those stars He has known by name. He gives them their names. Isn't that incredible? We just sang that song. Indescribable. And He knows all of that because He created all of them. Infinite to us. Why then would God have any difficulty creating a resurrection body? Different glory. We've got our own glory here and having a a tremendous body that does amazing things. But this next one is just going to be so much uh, um, infinitely better. Can't wait. Can't wait. Okay, let's go to part three. Starting at verse 42. Paul builds on this argument. He's not done yet. He's He's going to start contrasting. The old body to the new body. Uh, We will differ in our old body. Uh, Just as a spark differs from the sun. That's about how much difference there's going to be. A little bitty spark versus the sun. That's an incredible amount. Paul becomes very specific here in describing the resurrection body. Somebody said, well, what's it going to be like? I don't understand. I can't wait, but what's it going to be like? Well, Right here, 1 Corinthians 15, we get the best description in all of the world that we can know. Right here. Verse 42 through 44. So also is the resurrection of the body. The body is sown in corruption. It's raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. We'll stop there. First thing is durability. The durability of our new body is called an endurance all the way through eternity. It will never die again. We know about death here, but our new body will never die. So, this body is perishable. Next one, imperishable. Uh, the old body decays. Let's go to Ecclesiastes. We sang a song out of Ecclesiastes this morning too. Ecclesiastes 
Psalm Proverbs Ecclesiastes. That's chapter 3, verse 20. All go to one place. All are from the dust and all return to dust. You can say, oh, they all go to one place. Wait a minute, I thought there was heaven and hell. He's speaking a generality. We're all going to go to the grave. Wait, you know what he's saying here? We're all going to die. Ecclesiastes is just giving truth here. I said, man, that's good news. Ecclesiastes is pretty bad news in a lot of ways. And if he, if he just stayed with what he has, he's, you know, vanity of vanities. But there is an answer. But dust to dust, right? That's fact. The teeth, they start to go. And then the eyesight, you know, it's probably already started going for quite a few years and just gets a little worse. Our bodies become weaker. We don't have quite as much strength as we used to. I went out and played ball yesterday. And you know what? It was nice and cool in the morning. But I told my son, I want, for Father's Day, I want to play ball. Not the ball field. Not wiffle ball. I want to play real ball with a baseball and bats. So I brought his two boys, six and nine years old. We went out and played ball. It was 90 degrees when we started. It was 90 degrees when we finished. I said, this is good. I can do it. I was playing catch and I was still hanging in there. Elbow feels kind of weird. Have you ever heard of tennis elbow? It stays with you. And as, as you get, get older, you don't recover from it quite as quick. I guess it's tennis elbow. Anyway. Then, then I, um, I said, hey, listen, could you hit me some fly balls? I want to go out in the outfield and I want to run. I want to go after those like I did, you know, when I was nine years old. Ten. Hit me some fly balls. And I don't want to show anybody that I'm tiring out after three fly balls. <laughs> and I kept running and I was trying to make it look pretty good. I was catching them. I could do it. And, man, you know, after about three or four balls, I was really starting to get tired, sweating. I'm not going to show those guys that. You know, keep hitting them, you know, keep hitting them. He, he put his bat down. He started throwing them up there, you know. I'd throw them back in. Man, I was really getting tired. I said, man, I need to go in, but I'm not calling it in until he says something. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to could play out there three, four hours, not notice any difference. Well, the corruption it has set in, but I'm not giving in. So hang in there as long as I can. We played for a while, and they finally said, "We gotta go." We're tired. I go okay. <laughs> we'll go. We gotta play again, though. Well. The thing is, is I have to admit to you guys, I'm not going to admit to them, but you know, my body's decaying. Oh, they're you know. Yeah, I know. I know. They probably saw in the way that I did and things out there, but it's an incorruptible body is what I'm looking to, for. But my body's corruptible. Did you know something kind of interesting all the faith healers that want to have people continue to live on and I've heard some that said we could live forever in these bodies if we really believe that did you know that all the faith healers that have done that have come and gone that have passed 100 years old 90, 80, 70s have died 
and the faith healers that are still living today uh, are going to die too. Uh, just a fact. That's just the way it is. They they will they will die uh, because God has designed it that way. I'm not saying don't give in to it yet. If you feel young, keep keep doing it. You know, but no matter how much we deny it, it's going to happen. There are diseases. There's sicknesses. We're decaying. Uh, I'd like to say no, no. Uh, look in Psalm 103, 14, 16. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourishes. For the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. That's <laughs> kind of bad news for humans, isn't it? But you know, God is so good. What's the next verse? But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to children's children to such as keep His covenant to those who remember His commandments to do them. Oh, that's good. Good news after bad news. He's just telling the facts. God is the one who created us. He knows, doesn't He? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. This is really good news. This is great news. First Peter 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope. He has made us be born again spiritually so that we would have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. What kind of inheritance? incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. That's our bodies and everything else that goes along with it. That's what's waiting on us, folks. Boy, that is good. I'd like to hear that. Let's go back to our 1 Corinthians 15. Now that was durability. Those bodies, new bodies will never die. Then he goes on to say... There's much value to those. There's dishonor here. Because of the fall, man cannot please God the way that he was originally intended. No matter how much you like to please God, you can't do it the way that he wanted to. Imperfect, incomplete, it has less value than what was before the fall. But even then, Adam's body was not a glorified body. Even though it was perfect and it was good, still yet it was not glory. And the new bodies will please God forever. In every moment, in every sense of the way that we have, we will never fail Him. We will never sin. And it's going to have the capacity to always do that, to honor God. How about that? The next one is dealing with ability. It is sown a natural body. Uh, it's sown in weakness. It is raised in power. Our present bodies, they're weak physically. Um, no guarantee that we can resist harm. We can do all we can. We're not immune from diseases, broken bones, cuts, bruises, and eventually death. We're not immune from that. We can do all that we can, and it's a good thing. It's wise. Take your vitamins. Eat right. 
Um, we do have a body here that is incredible for this earth. And it is really the temple of the Holy Spirit. So I'm not saying, hey, listen, we got a new body coming. Just don't care about this body here. No, no, no. We are to take care of it because it's the most, really about the most precious um, stewardship that we have. Our bodies. How we use them. Our voices. And all the movements and everything we do with it. But they're temporary. They're fragile. And there's no guarantee. Whatever we do doesn't mean that we can escape all the diseases. There's no guarantee of that. All the tragedies that happen, there's no guarantee in this life as far as these bodies are concerned. We're very fragile. The new body, though, is going to be so powerful. This body cannot challenge that body. We will no longer say the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Right? We'll we'll never say that again. New bodies. Martin Luther said this: "Not a thing will be impossible, and that body will be so light and agile that in an instant it can float here, below on earth, or above in heaven, and quicker than that. <laughs> Forget the cars. You can think of the fanciest car that's ever been created by man. <laughs> you won't." I mean, that would be laughable. We will need transportation. If we have it, fine, but we will need it because we'll go wherever we want to go and we're there. Uh, you think computers fast? Last night I was on it and, man, I was amazed on Facebook. Uh, uh, there's a... Some of you might know him. Ali um, is in Dearborn, Michigan this weekend where they're having a, um, a Muslim festival and Christians will go there and they'll witness right at that festival around there and then they get carted off to jail. <laughs> a little bit of a, almost kind of like um, their law that they're imposing there. Well, he's, he's up there and he says, well, the laws have changed this time. Because you know, I asked him, what are you, what are you doing there? Well, what, you know, what's, what's happening? He said, well, they've loosened the laws this year. And plus, he is, uh, I guess, a former Muslim. He's a Christian now. And so he's there this weekend. And, you know, he he put that on there. And so I asked a question. I figured, okay, I might get answered tonight. Maybe in a few seconds here. And it was like, boom, boom. It's like that. And he gave me the answer. I'm like, how can he type that fast? Is he reading my mind? And then I did another one. I'm, I'm doing a little texting thing on this little small thing. And I'm doing one letter at a time. Must have taken me five minutes, and he's back in like five seconds, like that, just answering my question again. Okay. Uh, I think we'll be even quicker than that. We want to communicate to somebody, boom. I mean, cell phones. (laughs) That's ridiculous. We won't need any of those things. You want to go talk to somebody, boom, you're right there. Just giving some thoughts. Haven't been there, but. I think uh, this is uh, this is nothing. I can't even come up with all the thoughts that are, you guys have thought about all this before. How about the sphere? Verse 44. Uh, it is sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. Natural, spiritual. The natural body was made only for this sphere only. It was never made for the spiritual realm. 
We are spiritual people, but the body was never meant to ever exist in that spiritual realm. It was meant for this physical world, does amazing things. I'm amazing. I'm amazed how the body can move like this, get up of a morning. I'm amazed that we can breathe. You've got the heart pumping and lungs going and all the things that go inside that, and then you have these cells and then things that break down in the cell, you know, and you just get smaller and smaller. I mean, wow, this is, uh, this is beyond me. It's an amazing thing. This is the best thing that God has made, a human. You know, in, in creation, in this world, you know, and working around as it is. The, the angels are a little higher than us right now. But then, when we are spiritual beings in a body, then we'll be above the angels in order. Incredible? Look at Luke 20, verse 34. Jesus answered and said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage in this world that we live in now. But those who are counted worthy to attain that age and the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage, nor can they die anymore, for they are equal to the angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection." But even Moses showed in the burning bush passage that the dead are raised when he called the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. For he is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for all live to him. Jesus gave us a lot of wisdom there. There he said we're, we're equal to the angels. You know, we're going to be like the angels. Equivalent in the sense that we're going to be spiritual beings. Uh, but in bodies. But we're not going to be... Uh, Restrained here. There won't be any need for marriage there. There's going to be something much better. Much better than even the best marriage that's ever been on the face of this earth. It's going to be incredible as we are married to the Lord. And whatever that means, it's going to be something. Everything's going to be like uh, little toys to kids. And then when you get older, when you're 21 years old, uh, those toys. <laughs> don't really mean anything anymore, do they? We'll have bodies fitted for eternity. Not limited by time, not limited by space, not limited by any material things. And when he says spiritual bodies, he's saying spiritual bodies. Soma is a word for body, which means something that will uh, be a body, uh, physically, uh, materially. So they will be real, they will be physical They'll be controlled by the Spirit of God, though. Uh, the human spirit will be moved by the Spirit of God in an unbelievable way. We carry about in our body today a spirit. It's in a slow-moving chariot. The wheels are often disabled and broken. We're, you know, we're, we're in that kind of thing. Uh, chariots aren't the, the fastest moving things compared to what we know of. Uh, laborious. Slow. But when we have new bodies, the Spirit will bear body. And it will carry us on wings of thought wherever so we will. 
the contrast of resurrection, that body is vastly different than what we have now, only we will look similar to what we are now, only a lot better in a glorified way. We'll be shining. Shining saints. What age are we going to be? Whatever that perfect age is. Remember, there's really not time there. So I don't know how to describe it. One last thing. It's the prototypes. And he does the first Adam, then the second Adam. And we're about done here. We've just done an hour. Right at the end. Ready? Hang on. Paul makes a quote. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Adam, the prototype of man, the rest of man. God gave life to Adam in the garden and it was natural life. He gave him a a spirit, but it was not that in totality and all that glory. It was perfect and good, but not glorified. He was a living soul. He was natural. Life starts in the natural realm. It is first in order. It can't be the other way around. Then you have the new birth, spiritually, where you now are a new born-again person, which if you're Christian, you have that now. And then we'll go into the body eventually. The spiritual realm. So we are earthly in that we were born of Adam. Adam was the first man, or the first Adam. Jesus was the second Adam. Adam means red dust, or earthy. Not only was he made from earth, it also means who he was like. He was grounded in the earth. He was identified with the earth. He was tied to the earth. Are you catching that? That's that natural realm. Adam, Adam was a prototype, the first, of the earthly body as all the other descendants then would have natural bodies. So it's going to be that's the way God designed it. Then we have the last Adam, which is Jesus Christ. And if you look in Romans chapter 5, this is uh, the first Adam and the second Adam, and this gives credence to creation too. In verse 19, For as by one man's disobedience, Adam, many were made sinners, all of them, so also by one man's obedience, Christ, many will be made righteous. And then verse 21, So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's a gospel, isn't it? Christ is a prototype of spiritual bodies. All descendants will have spiritual bodies. Christ, second Adam, and He's produced a spiritual race. And we are made in the image of Him and ultimately we will have His same image in the resurrection body. Verse 49, And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Wow! Bearing the image of Him without sin. 
That's the whole deal. That's what it's all about. We were made to be in the image of Jesus Christ. Look what that fall did. But look what Christ has done to recreate that. What are you bearing? Scars of this old natural body that's left. The scars of disease or the scars of disappointment. The scars of sin. And one day, if you're in Christ, if you're related to Him, who is the Heavenly One, you will bear the very glory of the Heavenly One. I didn't say it. The Bible says it. Not pie in the sky stuff. This is real. The body the disciples saw of the resurrected Christ, that same body will be seen by us. 1 John chapter 3 says, you will see Him as He is. When you see Him as He is, then you will look and see yourself in glory. You are not God. He is. But you're made in the image of Him like He intended. We will exchange Adam's image from the image right to the image of Christ, even though spiritually we are having that already being done. We will have His power to magnify praise and glory to Him like we can't even do here. We fall just short of our praise and glory we'd really like to give Him. We can't, our bodies can't do it ultimately. We're going to radiate like the sun in the blazing and magnificent glory of Jesus Christ because of Him. We are going to be like Him. Amazing. Philippians 3.21 I'm going to uh, finish this up real quick. I just have to give you these verses because they're too good to skip. 3.21 tells us this. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you eagerly waiting? Look at this. Here we go. Who will transform... Is there a new Transformer movie this, this summer? Yeah. Is it coming out? Ah. Yep. Alright. This is the original Transformer one. Right here. He will transform our lowly body. This is lowly. That it may be conformed to His glorious body. How? According to the working power word by which He is able, power word, even to subdue all things to Himself. That resurrection power that got him out of there, that's amazing power. That's the kind of power that's going to conform us to be like him. Look in 1 John 3 2. Last verse. Ready? I just read this a while ago. When you look at it and you read it, you go, oh my. And by the way, that's what really John says in verse 1. Behold, what manner of love. What kind of foreign love is it? I don't understand it. This is far beyond anything I can even handle. My finite mind can't grab a hold of this foreign stuff. What manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called what? Children of God. Now, you ready for this? Therefore, the world does not know us. It doesn't get it. They don't understand why we do and say the things we do because it did not know Him. Look, beloved, now, we are children of God 
And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. Only what we have already read. That's all we get. That's a lot. But we know, we haven't seen it in our eyes, that when He's revealed, whenever He is actually going to be seen, literally, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Glorified body. We're going to see Him. Just like the disciples saw Him. We're going to see Him appearing, disappearing. And then we go, hey, I can do that. We appear, disappear. <laughs> We're going to be like Him. All for His glory. And everyone who has this hope in Him. Do you guys have hope here? Did you know that if you have that hope and you keep it up, that you will purify yourself just as He is pure? Keep that hope up. The graveyards of men are the seed plots of resurrection. The cemeteries, they're resurrection fields. That's really what they are. That's what you look at when you see that. Are you looking forward to it? Do you, are you ready one of these days to meet the One who created you and you're going to glorify Him in the most ultimate way that you can and enjoy Him forever? Why can't we glorify Him now and enjoy Him forever? Let's pray.